0: Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor, and this is a show where I like to talk to comedians to not only learn about their late night influences, obviously based on the name, but I also like to learn about just how they got so funny and how they ended up where they are today. So today, on this show i have a very uh, well and all my guests are special but this guest has a special place in my heart because i've known her for quite a long time we took improv classes together and now she's an actual improviser for the general company at dad's garage theater but that's not all because if you think that was good get ready she's also the host of her own podcast entitled who's your daddy and on top of that she's an architect i mean it just gets better and better and better so please Please, welcome to the show, Miss Jenny Wentling. Welcome to the show, Jenny.
1: <laughs> Hi. Oh my god, that was the best intro I've ever had.
0: Oh, uh, thank you know what? I I just completely improvised it. I did not have that written down. I just started talking. Oh my
1: God. Top notch. Thank you so much.
0: I I have gotten, you know, some accolades for my show. Um an introduction, I would say. I'm I'm really killing it. I don't wanna praise myself or anything, but
1: but do it. Just do it. it. It makes you feel good, and you deserve it.
0: Thank you, Jay. Okay, I have a great introduction. Boom. There we go.
1: Yeah. Now we can,
0: we can just end the show <laughs> right it's there. It's over.
1: Um, thanks, thanks for answering uh, the phone. I'm going to go now. This has been fun.
0: But I, I don't want to upset you. My conclusions are not as good as my introduction. Okay. All right. I won't expect much. So how how about this? How about we prolong my conclusion? We do like an interview in the middle, and then that way you'll forget that this happened. And then when I do my conclusion, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that was a fine conclusion.
1: Okay. Okay. I could do an interview. All right. Let's try it. Thank you.
0: Jenny, thank you for working with me here. I really appreciate it. No
1: problem. No problem.
0: <laughs> so to just jump into it, let me ask you, growing up, what late night shows influenced your comedy, or what late night shows did you watch
1: all right, right off the bat, Max, when you asked me to do this show i I thought i didn't I really didn't watch much late night because I went to bed at nine o'clock at the latest um i was a I was a early bird, and I didn't have a lot of knowledge of t v outside of cartoons.
0: Ooh, what types of cartoons
1: I would watch anything honestly, and it it was uh something in our house i We definitely turned them off everyone else would turn them off when I would watch them. I'm like, guys, you don't understand these are funny, um but no, so anything that was on cartoon network um an adult swim came on while I was in high school, so I got into that as well but um I watched kids like. Oh no, it's raining outside right now. Can you hear that?
0: Uh, no, I can't hear it actually.
1: Oh, okay, then great. I'll keep talking. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Um, I watched like Flapjack and Chowder. I watched. Uh, I watched anything I could. I watched Bob's Burgers because I'm pretty young, so that was part of my childhood too I guess in a sense Um, but anything I could find but I also grew up you know from in like an art family so it also included you know the animation side of things was something I was very interested in.
0: So I know that you're um, not not only a improviser and an architect but you also draw you're an illustrator as well so as a kid (laughs) Were you drawing these cartoons? Like, did you try to replicate them?
1: I never tried to replicate anything except for, oh, I was very into Tim Burton. And so it wasn't so much a replication, but, like, that very much influenced what I wanted to draw. And so if you look through my, like, my childhood sketchbooks are all very, uh, just, like, eight-foot-tall creatures with just made of, skin and bones, like the lankiest motherfuckers you could think of, and they're probably missing teeth and chunks of hair, and they have, you know, a strange animal on a leash, so that was a lot of it, I drew a lot of, like, old women with, like, their grandson, I don't know why that was a reoccurring thing, an elderly woman and a little boy, and, um, so I just drew a lot of things based off of that, and so... I just always thought that was funny, and I think it was because it made people so uncomfortable. I grew up up in, like, a very conservative area of Ohio, and um, I thought it was very funny to just make people feel uncomfortable because I was so into this, like, darker side of art, and people would call me out like, Jenny, that's really creepy. I'm like, okay, I'll keep doing it then.
0: How old were you when you were drawing these these weird sketches
1: um that was probably like sixth grade till graduation and then I you know it carried into college but it was tough in college since I got into I was in architecture school and there was less time to draw weird characters and more time to discuss why you hate yourself but you're still better than everyone else (laughs) which is a lot of what architecture school is
0: when you're a kid, I mean, because I, I just picture being in sixth grade and, like, you know, you're sitting at your little group of desks and you turn to your friend next to you and you're like, look at this old lady with this little boy I drew. I, I, yeah. Did, did that attract people to you? Like, did you get a core group of friends who all thought that was oh. funny?
1: Oh, God, no. No, <laughs> I did not have a core group of friends at any point. There were a couple friends that I definitely, like, stuck with but I was a floater for sure because people could handle me up until a point. And then I got too weird, too intense. I'm very intense. And so never really had a very core group of friends because it it was a little too much for people. And I've learned to tone it down, but at heart, I'm an all or nothing type of gal.
0: Along with sketching, did you write as well or was it just drawing?
1: I did. I mean, I liked to write little stories, but it, was, it always has come to me as if I have an idea, it's a whole lot easier for me to storyboard it and almost make comics out of it than write it out. I, I'm not a bad writer. I'm not a good writer because I don't really go to doing that. When I've got an idea, I imagine it visually before anything else, and so that's how I get it out.
0: That's re- that's really interesting, but in a way, you know, it just suits where your strengths are at. Yeah,
1: I mean, I've been doing a lot of it lately and I'm realizing, you know, it's not half bad like if if I'm working because the people I work with, I work with so many great writers and it's like, well, they can write. I'll do my own thing and maybe it'll help if if someone else writes a story, I'll draw some pictures for them um and it has complemented um other people's styles very well in in projects i've been working on it's just like nice to see it from a different perspective and also um i get to see things from a different perspective when i work with so many writers so yeah i i'm going to keep doing it for a while until i learn how to write or die
0: well okay those are two very very i guess on the on the spectrum of options those are very far or they might be close to each other it just depends I, on i'm not sure
1: alive. but yeah we'll find out and like i said i'm an all or i nothing type of gal so if i have to die
0: maybe it's time that you know what that is i was gonna say that's very positive of you to say but it's not <laughs> it's not very positive what what is the earliest cartoon that you came up with that you can remember? That I came up with? Yeah, or like a character that you sketched out maybe that you can remember.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, I definitely know that I never drew stick figures. Um, so I any of my drawings as a child, it was always an attempt I, I didn't understand why people weren't just drawing what things looked like, and they were drawing these representations, because a, a stick figure is a representation of what a human looks like. But I was like, that's not what a human looks like, so why don't you try and draw that instead? So if you look at, like, my childhood drawings, they were, um, they were all attempts to look like a human, but, of course, very bad. And all of I drew pictures of Sailor Moon a lot, Um, but I definitely had trouble with hands as all children do. And so she just looked like she had these big old wings for arms. Um, but things that I created, I, I know for sure there were just some very tall gangly men that finger, the thing was I, their fingers were all very, very long. And I found that to be fascinating, just a long finger and, um, So I think it was a lot of the similar, but
0: uh, just drawings of gangly creatures. Okay. This is very (laughs) very unique. I'm learning a lot. I mean, I I didn't know any of this about you, but it's interesting as I talk with more and more comedians, all of them, or most of them, I should say, have been interested in this weird, unusual type of comedy. And I think for you, drawing like weird, unusual type of sketches, you know, you you just created your own little artistic style that you liked.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of it was the, the I got a reaction out of people and I didn't want to like, I could have drawn something a little more run of the mill and, you know, people liked what I was doing. I was getting plenty of compliments via art teachers, but. I also wanted that reaction of like, Danny's a little off. I don't know if we want to be friends with her because it was, it was. I think it was very satisfying to do something that people weren't comfortable with. Like, yeah, but I am, so I'm going to keep doing it.
0: Where did your sense of humor develop from? Where Where did it come from?
1: Um, I would say, I mean, again, I didn't watch tons of TV until maybe. Um, high school and then even I really never owned a television so I don't I haven't seen much but um a lot of it came from our family we did um I grew up in like a very family-oriented family my mom and dad and two sisters and we had we ate dinner together every night and um a lot of it came from my dad and he is just a very sarcastic kind of mean, dry humor, and along with, like, lots of pop culture references, which I knew were very clever, but I didn't get them because I wasn't informed, but um, he was just very dark, and then on top of, like, this fascination with Tim Burton I had, um, it has, it kind of just turned into, like, dark but crass. and so I think I learned a lot from my dad, and then, um, in fact, there was, A prime example was in third grade, I had to turn in an assignment that was questions you ask your parents about, you know, when you were a baby and how they met and then how they named you and all this stuff about your birth, essentially. And um, I, I interviewed my dad for this paper, but he wouldn't give me a straight answer. And I didn't, as a kid, I didn't know what sarcasm was. I was like, well, he's lying, he's being mean, but it's funny. And I didn't know how to explain that to someone. And I turned in this assignment and I said, I'm sorry, I interviewed my dad, but all of these questions are these answers are all lies. And my teacher said, well, why would he do that? I'm like, because it's funny. And the paper said, you know, questions like, "Where did, were you named after someone and who? And it just, my answer from my dad was, yeah, she was named after our Jen Air Stove. And... Also questions like, did your parents agree on your name? Or how did they compromise? And his answer was, no, but I put a gun to her mom's head, so we landed on Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that that's the kind of stuff I was getting.
0: It's funny. It's funny you say that, though, because I had a similar thing when I was growing up. My dad was almost the same way when it comes to sarcasm. And so... Ever since I was, well, when I was little, like I'm talking three years old, four years old, five years old, when someone would come up to me and they would say, who do you look more like, your mom or your dad? My dad had me trained to say, I look more like the mailman Ah, for, for years, for years, but it was similar. And, like, and did you understand that joke when, no, when you no. told it to people as a kid? No, I don't oh. get it at all. I didn't understand. I just thought, you know, this is what my dad wants me to say. So this is what I'm going to say. So I would say it. It would always get a laugh. And I never understood why it was funny. <laughs> similar to you, where you're like, you know, I don't get why this is funny. But, like, I know it's funny. You know, it's I similar. know it's funny. I knew that being mean to people was funny. I
1: just didn't know why.
0: Right. Exactly. Like when, you know, your dad talks about putting a gun to your mom's head, you know, it. it it gets kind of like the shock and, oh my God, you know, that's, yeah. That's, but you don't get why.
1: Exactly. I wanted, I wanted to get a reaction out of someone and he was getting reactions. So I figured that's what I should do. So I started, you know, just saying very crass things at a young age and then later learning what those things meant.
0: Were you, would you ever consider yourself, uh, have had, ha, Oh man, I don't know my tenses. Would you have ever considered <laughs> yourself a class clown there you go that's what I wanted to ask um I don't think I was just simply because
1: I also was very serious about myself as a kid um so I you know I didn't I didn't take on like the typical things that people were joking about uh in elementary and high school you know it was all these like very lewd humor mm-hmm. I was never going to talk about a penis in class. That was beneath me. I was very self-serious. I was, um, like to give you a good idea, I was the valedictorian of my class and I spoke at graduation. I was in every club and captain of any sports team I could be. Um, so I just wasn't the class clown because I was working too hard.
0: Hmm. Were you making people laugh? Like, did they think you were a funny person?
1: I, I, now I guess I've never thought about it. I think maybe not. I think I was just like this weirdo. Um, I, I had a couple friends who I would make laugh, but I was definitely not, you know, making everyone laugh. I was not the mainstream humor of Fairless High School. I was more, you know, if someone was a little more intellectual, I could make them laugh, but I was not going to talk about poop and I wasn't going to say the word boobs. So it, it was not, I, I didn't win class clown at any point.
0: Um, I was just very driven and obscure. So when did this transition begin where you started, you know, making people laugh more and more and more and you realized, Oh, I, I want to be a comedy performer.
1: Yeah. Um, I really clearly remember that time and it was part of, it was while I was in college and I think it was just like getting burnt out. I had been so serious for so long. I was in architecture school. I'm in like one of the top architecture programs in the country and I am completely burnt out. I'm like, this isn't actually that much fun. Um, I need to do something else. So, um, When I was working as an intern in Baltimore, I started doing stand-up, and I wasn't great at it, but um, I was at least, I felt like, oh, this is something that's close to what I want to be doing. And I started just being a little more lighthearted in general conversations. There's always this side of me that is, like, very serious, And I'm still overcoming that with this, like, new discovery of we can just have fun right now, and we don't have to compete, and we don't have to do the absolute best at every moment. We can have fun while we're doing it. Not that I still want to do the best I can. I just wanna enjoy my time as well. And so that that's a big transition I probably made like midway through college.
0: Okay. And when when you first started doing stand up, did you find it difficult to not incorporate that lewd humor or were you over that and you were like, I'll just incorporate it?
1: Yeah, I got over it pretty easily. I realized that I wanted to talk about sex a lot Mm
0: -hmm. and it
1: was still Oh, like it was still funny I feel like at this point like yeah women talk about sex but I was doing it to a group of people who weren't quite aware that that was you know now it's it's totally normal that that phase has passed but um it was at a time where a lady talking about sex is funny just to begin with and so I was very open about that and so um that is how I made the transition into who I am now, which is a uh, a dick joke a minute um but yeah, so that's that is I got to that point while doing stand up for sure
0: do you remember any of your early stand up jokes?
1: Oh, it was mostly just stories about um from just like real stories from stupid shit I had got into and they usually involved having sex with someone so um that it they're not good jokes I have nothing that's it was a lot of like self-deprecating humor which um is fine but (laughs) I'm over it were you so I I guess I do but they're not good you don't want to hear them
0: well, well, if you remember one, I definitely want to hear one if you remember one of your early stand-up jokes.
1: Oh, there um okay. I I know there was a I mean there were lots of stories about um about just like a guy that I would go visit in a warehouse and I would uh go <laughs> go hang out in a warehouse, and that's all the detail I want to get into. That
0: is such a good beginning of a horror movie.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. But the <laughs> thing was, it was just part of my everyday life. I was hanging out on the weekends in a warehouse.
0: So, did, did he pick the warehouse? Did you pick the warehouse? Oh,
1: he lived in the warehouse, Max. He lived in this warehouse. Yes. So it was a real high point for me <laughs> while that was happening.
0: Um. Well, you know what? Just right there. You don't. You don't even have to tell me the full joke because I thought that was funny. Exactly. People just love an obscure idea,
1: especially if a lady's telling it to you. So.
0: Did. Did your group of friends that you had in college, did they kind of like push you into stand up like, hey, Jenny, you're funny, you should do this? Or were you kind of like, hey, Um, I want to start performing?
1: I think I wanted to because I was actually alone at the time because I was out on this internship and there weren't many of my classmates in town. I have a couple friends, but I didn't even tell them I was doing this. I was like, guys, I have good ideas. And I need people to listen to me. So where's a way I can get on stage and just talk at people? And that was it. Um, So I didn't necessarily do it for friends. Um, I did it, and then I told them about it later. And they were like, okay, cool.
0: What was the initial response from people? Like, Overwhelmingly, did people like what you were doing? Um, They were fine
1: with it. Um, as far like my friends were all very excited about it. They're like, "You are funny." Like I just don't. They wanted to know, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't show anyone because the other thing was like, I was still very much a perfectionist, as I I still am. Um, I wanted it to be very high quality before I showed anyone anything, mm-hmm. and so I never invited anyone to see me. And I still don't necessarily like putting work out there until it's perfect um so that lessens the amount of my content that i'm creating that anyone gets to see because i'm not personally always happy with it and if i don't feel like it is the best thing not even for myself but for anyone it if it is not the top of its craft then i don't really want to put it out there
0: so does that I mean, because obviously when it comes to improv, like when you're doing improv shows, you can't really work on it. You can't really work on a scene. You know, it's kind of just made up on the spot. So how do you deal with, on one side, you know, you want the perfection, but on the other side, you have to know it, it might fail. How do you mentally deal with that?
1: Um. Well, specifically, I, like with improv, I can, I will prepare as much as I can. I want to take every opportunity I can to workshop and practice and get in reps so that I know that I am putting out what, like the best that I have and I will prepare as much as I possibly can. And then from then on, this is just me having faith in myself and having faith in everyone else that um, we're, we're doing what we can in the moment and I just have to live with it. And that's also been a great lesson for me since starting improv. I need to learn to live with the fact that somebody saw me do something that wasn't quite perfect. Um and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to move on. And yeah. I'm doing that. I've okay. just got to let it go and we're gonna learn from it and the next time it's gonna be great. So I prepare as much as I can and then from there on out, I'm just going to accept
0: what happens. For sure. Yeah. I Yeah, I totally agree with that. When did you start doing improv? So I know as we talk, as we continue on your life, uh, we're at stand-up. When did you begin your improv career?
1: Well, I, so I didn't do stand-up for very long because um, I had to go back to school. And that's a very uh, time-consuming thing. Becoming an architect. And um, so I started doing improv when I moved to Atlanta. And I moved down here with no friends. I didn't know anyone. Um, I moved into a one bedroom apartment, and it is very close to Dad's Garage Theater Company. And so I went and I started taking classes there um, just mm, about two years ago. And so I am not experienced, but I'm having the time of my life. And so I'm just learning everything I can um, from these people. And Atlanta a, is a great community for improv. And so there's so many places that I have been just uh, trying to get in as much improv knowledge as far as watching and workshopping and working with people there are so many great people here that to learn from. So I'm very happy. I started it when I did. I definitely um, picked on things, pick up, picked up on things very quickly because I had been working all these desk jobs as an architect, and I listened to improv podcasts from nine to five every day. So I learned all these basics. So when I went into classes, I was like, oh, well, I know this stuff. This is all the stuff that they're doing on, you know, spontaneous Nation and Comedy Bang Bang and um, uh, Improv for Humans. Like, I, I knew this stuff. So it was easy for me to pick up on immediately, but then I definitely, like, hit this wall where I'm like, shit, now I got to put in work. And it's been super fun doing it here in Atlanta.
0: So, talk, Tell me a little about uh, and talk about your transition from being a student at Dad's Garage to eventually becoming a performer in their ensemble at Dad's Garage.
1: Um, well, it was it it was just like a super fun ride that I'm still on. Um, I I was asked to be in the rookies while I was finishing up the you know standard level one through four classes. I was asked to join the rookie program, and I was thrilled and um, so all of a sudden I got to do a show once a week at on Tuesday nights and I was like fuck I gotta, I gotta get on that stage as much as I can and just keep working at this and then out of nowhere in about six months they were bringing in new uh, general company members and they asked me again I was like fuck no. I'm, like, I'm not Ready for this, but at the same time i'm I'm just ready to say yes to it because I love myself and I'm so happy for myself, but at the same time, I'm like i'm I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so happy to be here. I'll do it, but do you do you know what you're getting? I still don't think they know what they're getting. They haven't realized that I um don't know what I'm doing, and um I'm gonna keep it that way. So hopefully no one at Dads hears this episode.
0: (laughs) I'm sure you don't have to worry because I've seen you. I've seen you in a couple shows, and I think you're doing a great job.
1: Thank you. I mean, I think what I'm doing is relying a lot on everyone around me because it's such a stellar cast of characters at Dads, and um, they are picking up where I am dropping the ball every time. So I've, I've just had such a strong crew of people to work with everyone there is brilliant and everyone that I've gotten a chance to work with at other theaters around Atlanta has been brilliant as well. i like, what the hell's happening here? I didn't know this was happening in Atlanta. I'm so glad I found it.
0: So what have you, what did you notice was the biggest challenge to jump from the rookie program to the general company?
1: Um, you know, I don't know that I noticed it because I just acted the same. I just was like, Well, they asked me to be here, so I'll keep being here. Um, I get excited about things. I can't keep my mouth shut. So I I was talking to everyone about ideas I had anyway. And that's it there was almost zero change except for my face is on the wall, honestly. And that that just came from I felt comfortable there from the beginning, and mm-hmm. I felt comfortable here because I'm actually at God's garage right now. <laughs> I have recorded three podcasts today, and um, it's just such a great environment that has been created by the staff and by the ensemble members there um, that I felt at home right away, and I never acted like I didn't belong.
0: Okay, and I gotta find out. do your architect coworkers know that you're an improviser at das garage um they so you know
1: yes and no, there are some people who are aware uh you you working uh nor- like a nine to five job and then being an improviser is this constant conversation of oh my god, yeah, you do like. You get a range of like, oh, you do a skit last night, you do a little play, some really patronizing comments. Uh and then there's the people who are just constantly letting you know that they should see you sometime. It's just uh Oh yeah, you're still at dad's. We should totally come out and see you sometime. When do you when do you do shows? And it's like I you guys have had plenty of chances to come out. If you wanted to, you would have done it by now. Um but there's, they're all very nice people who maybe don't fully understand how much work it involves. Like, I, I essentially, you know, I have multiple jobs. I don't go home at the end of the day. I go to Dad's or I go somewhere to keep working on, you know, illustration, lighting something, putting out a podcast. It's all, uh, I have made a point my entire life to never have any downtime. And it's working so far in the fact that I don't have any downtime.
0: Now, what's been the I- I- the most awesome, the awesomest moment for you being a performer at Dad's Garage?
1: Um, I would say just recently, because it's on my mind, it's a thing that I was so excited when it happened. I got to play... At Dad's with Scott Adsit, and um, he's a huge hero of mine. And um, I Thirty Rock is actually one of one of the few live action shows I watched growing up. And um, I, I, this past week, I cried a little bit. They took it off Netflix. Mm-hmm. I do have the box DVD set, but I don't have a DVD player. Um, but I've seen that show, you know, 20 to 30 times all the way through all seven seasons, 138 episodes. But got Scott Adds is a, a huge hero of mine, and he I got to play with him twice. And by the end of the second show, it was just the most shocking thing when he had an idea. We're off to the side sitting next to each other. And he has an idea, and he he tapped me on the shoulder to, like, come up and do this with him. And just to have someone that I look up to so much um, reach out to me and be like, hey, come do this thing with me real quick. I was like, what? Yes. (laughs) Um, And I was on a high for a few weeks after that happened. So that's been the peak of my existence. And it happened a couple months ago. So it's all down here from here.
0: Well, you know what, I, I won't say it's all downhill because in the short bio that I write up for you when I publish this show, I'm gonna say that you're a friend of Scott Adzitz. So there you go.
1: Oh wow, thank you. Um, hopefully he sees that and realizes that we are friends and I expect a phone call soon. Uh,
0: look, I'll, I'll make it happen. Maybe. Great. I trust I, you, Max. I actually promised that, but I said it. <laughs> Tell me right. a little bit about your podcast and how that, the idea started and how you just created it. Because I love your podcast, but I don't want to describe it. I want you to describe it so it'll sound a lot better.
1: Okay, okay. Well, um, the podcast is a brainchild of mine, Hannah Asleason, and John Stubbs. And Hannah and I met at Dad's, and immediately I was like, who is this? gorgeous being with the mind of of a brilliant brilliant i i don't know a a being from another world she was just like the shit that comes out of hannah's mouth i was like holy fuck i never would have thought of that i hope it's okay to swear on this show i've been doing it since i sh- showed up
0: so no, no, i'm gonna keep doing totally it at okay. this point it's totally okay and but for the young Listening, it just teaches them new words. So you're totally fine. Great. Vocabulary lesson,
1: guys, listen up. Um but Hannah and I immediately started uh hanging out when she moved here. We were both from the Midwest and we both showed up to Atlanta around the same time and we're at Dad's garage and we were drawn drawn together very quickly and um John Stubbs, a friend of mine who works in film here in Atlanta, he He and I had been working on podcasting things that we hadn't quite figured out. And he is the technical mastermind behind everything we do. And he was on board to make something. And I was on board to do something, but we didn't know what it was. So Hannah comes over a couple of times, and we just, like, shot the shit on mic and we did a little improv, and we did a little bantering, and we're like, what is it? We need something more than this. And we wanted to be able to banter, but we wanted to be doing improv. Mm -hmm. And so we realized, why aren't we just being characters that we're very comfortable in? Because that way the banter comes out because we essentially are these characters, and we're still doing improv. So I said, I remember texting her. I was at work, and I texted her, and I was like, I had just gotten a new job, so I was being an asshole and, like, sitting at my desk texting already. Um, and I was like, what about this? I really like playing, like, a 12 to 15-year-old boy. What if you're, like, and I know you play this Midwestern mom character so well. What if it's the two of us in those characters... And we're just interviewing people. We're looking for we're And we're, like, going back and forth, developing this idea more and more. Um, and until we, we, she came over again. We recorded just as these characters. And I think I changed my name a couple times. But uh, we recorded as these characters. And we're like, shit, this is it. We got to do this. So we workshopped on our own. And then we started bringing in guests. And um, Karen Cassidy, a comedian and actress of note here in atlanta, is she was my first improv teacher ever, and she came on our first episode as our first guest and I think that's when we knew we like really had something great because it is we got to just be ourselves but mm-hmm. under these masks of these characters we have developed, and it is um, so travis and his mom, Debbie, and uh, they are uh, just a single mom, and her really shitty son live in Indiana, and they're just interviewing candidates looking for a new stepdad. Who's your daddy? And um, very quickly, we wanted to branch out from that. We didn't just want, you know, straight men on our podcast, so we were like, we'll interview anyone who comes on, honestly. So, uh, if you're out there listening and you're like, "Fuck, I need to get on this show, just email um uh, mommysonlovin at gmail dot com yeah. but we we have been recording an episode every week since for the last like three or four months now, and it's been fantastic. We've only heard great things from people, so maybe it sucks, and we have really nice friends, but I like to think that we are actually doing something pretty good
0: and where where do you see the show going? Like who would be your dream guest to get on? Oh my god,
1: we want to. we want everyone on there. If I could have anyone on the show. Well, I mean, just because this is my I want I want Tina Fey on on my show, of course. As as a devout a fan of 30 Rock, I want I want her on there. I want to get Scott in if I could, if he were in town. And, Scott, if you're listening, come on over to my house and record a podcast in our spare bedroom, please. (laughs) So those are, I mean, and everyone. I want everyone on there.
0: (laughs) So, Jenny, where, just talking about your comedy career in general, including the podcast, including performing at Dad's, you know what is your ultimate goal when it comes to comedy? I ooh ooh
1: I have a dream, my dreams. You know, I would love to be involved in just a sh- a show whether it be a live show, whether it be a television series. I'd love to be involved in a you know a sketch for format that just like allows for a variety of things but because I am across the board i want to be making content in all forms so i don't i'm not i think it's because I'm not one hundred percent great at anything but I'm pretty good at a lot of things so i want to be you know making music i want to be illustrating and animating silly things i want to be just doing improv i want to be acting so maybe it's not one format i just want to be able to fill my days with every form of what i want to do so i want to wake up in the morning and have to you know Animate a short that I'm working on and then bounce over to like record a podcast and then go meet my friends because i was writing something for some sketch for some show and I just want to be able to fill my days with that and work continue working with all the great people that I have been through improv.
0: So one day you want to and this is not you handing in your resignation letter but one day you think you might want to pursue comedy a hundred percent full time,
1: for sure. Um, I don't know where my my path leads, but I have a million things that I want to try wholeheartedly for once. You know, I have been since I since I was in high school being involved in you know my after school activities when you know I had marching band practice and then cross country. And then soccer, and then show choir, and then a musical rehearsal, and somewhere in there, there was Key Club. You know, i I have always spread myself across different things, and I'm getting to a point where I'm like, I should really whole whole ass one thing for a while, and um, if I could do that, I'd like to see where it goes.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, where as the interview is coming to an end, we've reached the the last question, but to me. This last question might be the most important question of the entire, entire. Okay.
1: Show. Okay. I'm
0: ready. The question I ask every single guest. So I'll give you a chance to think about your answer before I ask the question. Okay. Okay. All right. So take a moment to think.
1: Well, I don't know. Okay. Okay. All right.
0: All right. Have you thought? Thinking. i thought. Yeah. All right. Here's the question If you could give one piece of advice to somebody who eventually wants to be in your shoes, what piece of advice would you give?
1: I would say, and this is a motto that is written on um, the whiteboard calendar in my house that um, my roommate John and I um, talk about all the time, is try ideas. When you have an idea, give it a shot um we do stupid stuff all the time that just comes out of uh little ideas we had while we were watching we're watching a show and we're like "Ooh, I like that what if we turned it this way did this expanded it into this huge universe whatever it is if it's a tiniest thing like I wish I had a t-shirt that had a Cat coming out of the moon on it. Make that t shirt. Or if I have a great idea for a sketch, you know, get together with someone and talk about it. If I think of an improv format, figure out who I want to work on that with and do it. So, like, act upon the ideas that you have. Because as long as they remain ideas, you have nothing to show for what you think is, you know, it could be brilliant. You have to try it. So try your ideas. That, that is my advice.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. Great. Good. Do it, Max. I will. Just for you, Jenny, because you told me to. Yeah. No, no. Good. Thank you. And Jenny, if people want anyone listening, want to, you know, learn more about you, maybe see you perform at Dad's or learn about your illustrations or your podcast, how can they find out more?
1: I would say there are so many ways to find me. Um, you can you can um, see me at Duds. You know, I don't know my schedule, so you don't either. Um, but you can find my social media mostly Instagram. You'll see, you know, what I'm working on as far as illustration, and every so often a little picture of my friends is gentling. Uh, That's a combo, my first and last name right there, J E N T L I N G, um, and then. Listen to the podcast, which is Who's Your Daddy? And you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram, Who's Your Daddy podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play right now. And if you want to send us money, we'll tell you how to do that on the show. Um, and then email the show as well. If you are already listening and you're not emailing, email sonlovin at gmail.com. I'm very serious about that. And um, outside of that, you can give me a call if you already have my cell phone number.
0: But that's it. Well, that that is just a litany of ways to contact you. Yeah. So, perfect. All right. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed talking with you.
1: Yeah, thank you, Max. I'm so happy you asked me. I'm so happy to talk to you while I'm sitting in the parking lot of Dad's Garage.
0: Yeah, I mean... It it means a lot that you would sit in your car for almost fifty minutes just talking. You know away.
1: the weather's gorgeous, so hey.
0: Well, look, no one listening knows what the weather is, so you could say you could say you're it's a tornado. You could say it's a blizzard.
1: Exactly, and it was. It was all of those
0: things, and you sat through an earthquake just for me. I. What can Just I say? for you, Max. I'm honored. Keep that I in mind. mind
1: next time you need. I, I have no clue what you need from me, but um, keep that in mind. I,
0: you owe me. <laughs> Noted. I will, I will remember that. All right. Oh. To anybody listening, please remember to go on our Facebook page, Talking Late Night, and give us a like. You can also find us on iTunes, where you can also like us there and leave us leave us a review or you could visit us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com thanks again for listening thanks so much for jenny for being on the show and we will see you next time